Welcome to Seek, Go, Create. This is Tim Winders, your host. This is where we redefine success in leadership, business, and ministry. And one of the things we just love to do is share great stories, great guests, great conversations. And that is what we're going to be doing today. I'll get to the introduction of our guest and we will begin that conversation shortly. But before I do, I just like to make a request especially if you're a first-time listener or if you've been listening to a few but you haven't connected with us outside of either the podcast or if you're watching this on YouTube or even one on, on one of our social channels, we would love to have continual dialogue with you or at least to continue the conversation. And there's a few ways to do that. You could do that on all of our socials. You could find us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and on Twitter. We're Seek Go Create at all of those places. But what we'd love for you to do is to jump to seekgocreate.com. That's our web presence. You'll find detailed notes, detailed descriptions of all of our episodes and resources that guests mention. All of those you could find there. We have a page per episode. You can also listen into the podcast there. But what I'd love for you to do is typically at the top of the page, there's a bar that says, give us your email address and we'll stay connected. So give us your best email address so that you can stay in contact with us. We'd appreciate that greatly. And we won't blow up your inbox, but we will keep you updated on all the cool things that are happening at Seek Go Create. So today our guest is Aurora Winter and she combines, I love this statement, the best of Silicon Valley and the best of Hollywood. I'm excited about having those conversations. She's a best-selling author, TV producer, media coach, ghostwriter, and successful serial entrepreneur. She uses her filmmaking expertise in neuroscience to help people communicate and get results. Whether it's raising seven figures for a startup, negotiating for a raise, or enrolling a new client. If you have ever wanted to write a book, become an in-demand speaker, or communicate more effectively, you'll definitely want to stay tuned to this episode. Aurora, welcome to Seek, Go, Create. It's so great to be on the show with you, Tim. Yeah, thanks for being here. I gave you a little bit of warning, but my first question is, I just like to kind of read the bio, but then I like to say, Aurora, we bump into each other. What do you do if someone says, what do you do? What do you tell them? Well, I help people turn their words into wealth, wonder, and wisdom. I think so many people have at their disposal, their breath, their words. And yet so often when people ask an ordinary everyday question like the one you just asked me, Tim, what do you do? The answer is uh, 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 because they haven't thought about it. They haven't rehearsed it. They haven't composed it. So I love to help people solve that problem. And it, it can show up like a book, video series, a podcast, YouTube, or like raising venture capital or writing a TV movie or feature film. Yeah, now that's 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 pretty broad. That's a wide net, and we're going to get into a lot of those in just a moment. But you mentioned a word that I don't think I saw. Maybe I did because uh, I've read I've read your most recent book. We'll talk about that uh, later on. And uh, I looked at a number of the things that you do, but you use the word, and I take notes when I'm when I'm interviewing here. I, you use the word wonder. You use wealth, wonder, and wisdom, which yeah. I love all of those words but I don't think I've ever spoken to anyone that has inserted the word wonder into a description of themselves. Tell me more about that word. Well, I love the word wonder. And, and really, 
we want to, some of the time, we want to evoke wonder. So if you are a Silicon Valley entrepreneur and you've got a brand new widget that does something awesome, you know, you're not necessarily immediately looking for the sale, but you want to show people like, wow, look at this. It can do this whole new thing, you know, like Steve Jobs with the, the, first, uh, the first Apple launches that he did. It was like wonder was involved. And I love helping people who are writing movies or who are writing children's books. And so we are evoking wonder. Now, sometimes that wonder can also eventually turn into wealth, but the first goal could be wonder. And, you know, anybody who's listened to this who has not listened to Tim's first episode, I just finished listening to it. It's amazing. And it evoked wonder and awe because you were so real. You were so raw. You were so authentic. Your voice quavered even at several points because you were telling the whole truth and it was a little bit challenging. And that evoked wonder and respect in me. So I think, you know, uh, turn your words into wealth isn't, doesn't really fully capture who I am and what I would love to contribute to the world. So turn your words into wonder, wisdom and wealth more or less captures it. It's a good trifecta. Well, I, I love it for a couple reasons. Number one, I think they're all very descriptive. And just like you just mentioned with that word wonder, it, it, especially someone like me, I'm wanting to ask questions about each one of them. And I think in many ways, that's the way we would love to engage with people is to just, you know, ask me more. I want, I want to say enough. And if, because truthfully, I, I, I'll just be a little bit blunt here. If you were to say that to someone that you use, help people use words to invoke wealth, wonder and wisdom, and they kind of go, meh, meh, whatever, that's probably not someone you're going to really want to interact with, not to you know, push people off, but wouldn't you agree? I mean, you probably get a ton of questions from that, right? Uh, I, well, I love questions and I love what you're saying. I think an, another mistake that entrepreneurs often make is we don't want to attract everyone. So if somebody hears, you know, Aurora is somebody who loves helping others turn their words into wonder, wisdom, and wealth, and they're not interested, great. Good that we've gotten that clear very efficiently, right? They're not my people. Doesn't mean that others couldn't serve them, but I'm not the right uh, the right author for them to read or the right coach for them or the right person to help them with their book. So good to know. So I think also that is another aspect of communicating effectively. We want to both attract and repel. Like you and I are both, um, like faith is a big part of our, our, our being and what matters to mm -hmm. us, not that our beliefs have to be everybody else's beliefs, but if somebody is like a, a diehard atheist, they're probably not going to resonate with me as much as others. So fine, good for them to, to get help somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. And so, you know, I'm sitting here and, and I'm wanting to get off this word wonder because I've got so many other things to ask. <laughs> But I'm just sitting, I'm thinking about culture, I'm thinking about society, I'm thinking about all that's going on in the world, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of those things. And I'm wondering, notice how I inserted it there, I'm wondering if we could just all use a little bit more wonder <laughs> to, to, to just inject that. So anyway, any thoughts on that? Absolutely. One of the things that the pandemic um, helped me realize, I was going to say confronted me with, but helped me, helped me discover, because I was at that time living in Silicon Valley, is that our society in North America has got an obsession with money and money has, money has value. Money is the definition of value in, in some ways, but a rich life has multiple aspects. And 
Wonder is one of them. So I recently started rereading C.S. Lewis's The Narnia series, which starts with The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And that evoked such delightful wonder in me when I was nine years old and read it. But as an adult, it also still evokes wonder. And and that's a delightful aspect that I think many of us are living two-dimensional lives if we don't have any wonder. Yeah, that's good. Well, I'll, I'll move off of that and go to something else that was just very intriguing to me when I was uh, doing some study on you and just reading your information. And it, it would say you, it, it says something to the effect of you take the best of Silicon Valley and Hollywood and kind of bring those together. We have on the show here, we've interviewed some Silicon Valley veterans. We've got like uh, probably three, four at least that I could think of top of my mind, people that would be Silicon Valley types. And then we've got some that have been in the entertainment industry. Uh, I know one in specific that's coming to my mind uh, from Hollywood, but never have run across anyone that has said they bring those two together. What is that like? And tell me about the best of both of those worlds. Oh, such a great question. Yes, one foot in each camp. I am one of those weird people that is a hybrid and uh, that's where the value lies in that surprising connection. So what I think is the best of Silicon Valley is that that engineering smarts, the analytical smarts, the, the technological smarts, super geeks who invent the next widget um, and can change the world. Like as we've seen with you know major tech companies like Apple and Amazon and Facebook and et cetera, taking over the world. But what, the failing is often they cannot communicate what the heck their thing does and why we should care. And so, you know, when I was in Silicon Valley, lots of times I would meet with people and they, once they spent a half an hour explaining what it was, I, I oh God, now I get it. Uh, but that, that's way too long, right? Most pitch meetings don't even last that long. And that was just to understand why this thing should even matter. So that is the, that is the blind spot of those really smart engineers um, who can change the world. And then I have a lot of experience in Hollywood. I used to be a head of development for Canada's largest film and television production company. I've produced and written films and have a big background there. So what's great about Hollywood is razzmatazz. Showtime. (laughs) It's the twinkle, it's the glow. It's like, ta-da, catch your attention. But sometimes there's no substance. So combining those two, you know, the really smart eggheads with the, hey, let's get your attention and communicate clearly in a nanosecond. That's what I love to provide. Well, the the, the cool thing about that, and you, I, I think you obviously did a great job of describing it, is that they both have a cool, hip, I don't know if sexy with Silicon Valley would be the right word, and, and but let's just go to middle America or I'm originally from the South. We look at those two areas and we kind of look at them in a little bit of awe because Silicon Valley has done so much over the last, you know, 30, 40 years, going back to most people don't know the origin. It was chips and things related to Silicon. Now it's just, you know, apps and stuff like that, high tech. And then Hollywood's always been just Hollywood. And so bringing all that together, I guess a big question I have, I kind of love origin stories and how people come to be who they are. And we're going to, we're going to, 
get into a lot of book items. And, and I think I shared right before we turned this, turned on the uh, microphone. Oh, by the way, I just finished writing a book and you went, what? <laughs> so, so we're going to have fun discussing some things, but tell me how Aurora and, and we'll maybe do the, uh, you know, Reader's Digest, the short version, but how did one gain experience in worlds that many times they're total separate. No one crosses those boundaries. Talk about where over the course of your life, you kind of noticed you were just crossing all kinds of boundaries <laughs> all, the, all the time. Weird that way. So I've always been an entrepreneur. I've, yeah. I've always been doing business. My first business sold for six figures when I was in my twenties, went on mm. to uh, launch three other businesses who were all successful in, in different industries. So I have this very strong entrepreneurial, it can be done, let's do it. <laughs> but then I've also been a writer since I was nine. And I first, you know, was inspired by C.S. Lewis and the Narnia series. I'm like, I'm gonna write. Of course, my first books were mostly coloring of horses and unicorns, but um, so I've always loved writing and I've always loved entrepreneurship. And I've always been in awe or in wonder of people who have breakthrough ideas, whether they express them in a book, like. I want to hear more about your new book um, or whether they express them in, in something new. And when you hear about something new, it's like, oh, I should have thought of that. Like post-it notes, you know, we should have thought of that. But the person who thought of it, it's like they blessed the world, right? Yeah. Or Time Traveler's Wife. When I first got that idea, I'm like, oh, that's such a great idea. I should have thought of that. <laughs> Combining two things, right? So, so, so when you, let's go back, like, you know, young, were, were you that way as a child? Was there something in your environment growing up that fed that? The, the reason is that I've kind of always felt a little bit of that. People always will tell me, we hear this all the time. You've got to get a niche. You've got to know who your audience is. And truthfully, I'm a generalist. I love multiple topics, multiple things. And, and I'm not in any way saying that uh, that's good or bad. It's just the way it is. But at some point, you had to recognize that you had a lot of interest. And maybe, and if I'm putting words into your mouth, you say, no, Tim, that's not correct. That you could possibly get bored if you did the same thing for like 10 years solid in a row. Yes or no? <laughs> yes, that's okay. definitely Okay. All right, good. So that's we're on like the same page. Businesses. <laughs> yeah. But but I don't think I started businesses initially from, oh, I better not get bored. You know, my mm. first business, I was, I was took honors economics, so that's the business side of me. I was madly in love, young newlywed. Okay, so we both had executive jobs. That sucked. No time to spend with each other and and nobody was going to implement all my great ideas because they take like forever and I want things done yesterday. So we started a business. So I, you know, I, I, I was working as a, an analyst for a market feasibility company, actually studying where to put real estate. You would know that from your background, right? So studying, you know, population growth and where should you put shopping centers and where do you want to put the townhouses and that single family. So I had all of those analytical skills. So did a market feasibility study on what business can we start with no money? <laughs> so we started a mm. yacht charter business because my husband uh, was a sailor. I was not a mm. sailor. The first time I went sailing, I took a dinghy sailing course and then made the mistake of watching Jaws before the final <laughs> exam. <laughs> Needless to say, that was not good. Um, but anyway, it was the only business that we could think of that we could start with no money. 
and uh, kind of the, the rest is history. The first sailboat show that we went to, the old timers who were running successful charter uh, companies or boat rental companies were like, those kids, they're not going to be back next year. We can see they are eating rice and beans. But that company grew from nothing to the largest yacht dealership in Western Canada. So we are also started selling boats. And so it's just kind of like every time I saw something and then we implemented it. So the, we started selling boats because I noticed that um, at that time you could uh, get a lot of tax benefits from real estate. If you owned real estate and you rented it out in Canada mm -hmm. at that time, there were some really great benefits. 33 and a third straight line depreciation, 7% investment tax credit. Anyway, bottom line, made it a good deal. And, I, and so I asked the million dollar question, I, I wonder if we can do that with boats. And after spending $20,000 with the lawyers and accountants, the answer was yes. And so we started a yacht sales company, but we did it differently by also providing, hey, you can charter your boat with our charter company. And hey, we'll set up the paperwork for you so that, you know, this $100,000 boat really only costs you $30,000 after tax savings. So because I have a restless mind, I'm always seeing, thinking, how can I add more value? And that ends up oftentimes creating a seven-figure business because, well, anybody could have copied that idea. Nobody did. So we were the only people in Western Canada, or maybe Canada, but anyway, the only people in Western Canada offering uh, to sell a boat with tax benefits. And that's kind of the story of my life. Then later, you know, I started a film and television production company with a partner in London, England, and I was living in Los Angeles. And so I'm like, well, how can we add more value? So again, it was like, well, one person in, in, in England, one person in Hollywood, one person in Toronto to have Canadian content. And all of a sudden we could access pools of extra money and extra uh, government benefits and voila, more value provided and therefore uh, yeah. a so successful it's a, startup. So a few things I've actually, I've gotten four things just off what you just said that we may or may not have time to get into, but uh but one of the things that you just said is intriguing to me. I heard in at least both of those situations, something that I think many people would miss. And that is there is a level of detail that someone has to have to say, we're going to look at how tax benefits can impact what we're doing or that we're going to look at structuring a multinational film and production company, we're going to see where the incentives and benefits are. Is there some accounting or tax? I mean, where, where did that come from? That's a, that's a <laughs> level of, uh, Aurora, that's a level of detail that some people are listening. They're going, well, I don't even consider those things. I actually do more than I should, unfortunately. <laughs> but, uh, but, but where did that come from? I mean, where's that level of detail? Are you a numbers well, person? It's true that some people might be glazing over. So I want to uh, emphasize that, just ask the question, how can I add more value? Mm. If you ask the question, how can you add more value? Different things will appear and then you won't necessarily be competing head to head, whether it's at a job or whether you own a business. And I do also want to share that part of why I'm so passionate about helping entrepreneurs with their message is because what I just said a few minutes ago, which was the honest answer to your question, is really not the best answer 
in terms of sales. Like when I, in all excitement, just like I did with you a second ago, Tim, explained 33 and a third straight line depreciation, 7% investment tax credit. People who wanted to buy boats were like, what is she talking about? I like her, she's clearly excited about it, but what does this have to do with me? Hmm. So that is a million dollar idea, but the difference between a million dollar idea and a million dollar message is the million dollar message that finally launched that company and got the phone ringing off the hook was five weeks of sun, fun, and tax shelter. Hmm. So when we put that on ads or on the radio with a beautiful picture of people having fun on a sailboat, they're like, what? Five weeks of sun, fun, and tax shelter. I still don't quite understand, but it sounds interesting. Let's call. And, uh, and, and, and yeah, kind of. Well, well, you're tying things together because when you just, when you originally said it, you know, you got the depreciation, you've got this, you've got, it was just like, huh, I don't think that's what they put on the billboard or the marketing. <laughs> now, I think you put it deep down in there. And, and when someone asks, hey, what's the deal with this tax shelter thing? You've got it. But uh, I appreciate you clarifying that because, and I actually think that there was a story about that in the book I just read that you brought up. So, so I appreciate you clarifying that because some people would be sitting here, especially if they're that type person. And they'd be going, that's what I need to do to let people know. Uh, but that's not why people buy boats. I mean, listen, I've owned a boat and I'm a, I'm the living example of it being like the, what, the second best day, first best day, you know, whatever. It's like the day you get it and the day you sell it. Because listen, the boat I had, we were just putting money in it and things like that. So, I mean, boats are an interesting thing. You just have to really enjoy them. And so I love that y'all were able to tie in that tax. Thing, well, but. see, that's very interesting. Like it took me a while to realize, oh, people just want to buy the boat. And uh, all of these things that took me so long to cook up are just an, an excuse, a rationalization mm. or, you know, yeah. a, a way to present it to their wife or their banker. Uh, but that's fine. It's another way of adding more value. So, for example, now I help people. Some of the times I help people, you know, publish their book and I'm still restlessly always asking, how can I add more value? So I looked at how it's normally done and I saw a bunch of problems and I've solved them or many of them. And uh, yes, there are tax benefits if you're in Canada, (laughs) but never mind that, you know, the way that books are typically done, a journalist or a writer such as myself would interview an expert such as you, and we'd get your story, we'd ask you a bunch of questions, and then that would be transcribed, and then it would be put into a book, and then, you know, be shown to the, to the, um, to the, the person whose, whose story it is several times, have them check it. And then after a long time, proofreading, editing, polishing, uh, book layout design, you've just gone through this probably, Tim, then you end up with a book, you oh, know, yeah. maybe two years later. But then people have to talk about their, they have to go on podcasts and get on radio, get on TV. So most of the time people make their book and then they go, oh, I need media. I better get on podcasts. I need media training. And then they do that. So the whole process takes like five years. So I thought, well, why don't we just compress all of that? And I will interview you on podcasts that will give you media training as I am discovering your story. And then you get a book, you get the podcast, you get the media training and it's all done you know, in a fraction of the time. And it's a lot more fun. And people are writing through this process, 8,000 words an hour. Well, that's unheard yeah. of. They've even a fairly decent writer cannot usually crank out 8,000 words in a day, sure. let alone an hour. Right. So 
it's not always about tax savings, although if there are tax savings, <laughs> let's find yeah, yeah, them. Yeah. <laughs> it's also about seeing where are the, where are the, uh, what, what, what are the things that are just done normally? And maybe that's not the best way. Yeah. And, and we'll move along from the tax savings. I promise no more questions related to that. <laughs> Thanks, but, um, Your listeners, thank you. <laughs> yeah. You, you mentioned earlier, well, I, I've got a question and I, this is, uh, I don't even, this, this is probably a good time to ask it, but I just feel as if you've done so many things in the business world and, and continue to interact with people to help them tell their best story, to tell their brand, to get their message out to the marketplace. And I don't, I don't think this is controversial, but we're in a world that division seems to be everywhere. And there's just so much division between, let's just talk, call it color and male, female and wealthy and not wealthy and things like that. I, I just feel like I should ask you uh, from a female perspective, what have you seen that might be challenges that maybe Tim hasn't seen? And we're not looking to air out a lot of things here or whatever, but I mean, I'd, I'd just love to hear from your heart. And then what have you seen that might just be, you know what, it just is what it is and I've dealt with it. Uh, I, I guess just maybe the, the real question is, can you talk about the female perspective in all that you've done in some form or fashion? Because I know we've got a lot of listeners that are females and at times I know that we're in an unlevel playing field. So could you just address that in whatever way you want to? I'm going to allow you to do it however you would like to. Sure. Okay. I'm going to give you uh, what I initially thought and where I am today. Perfect. So as, as a young woman, I thought, oh, this thing about male, female, like, no, there's no difference. It's a, it's a level playing field. I don't want to ever put on the victim hat and play that card. And uh, surely if I just show up, <laughs> that things will be you know, equal. And uh, I don't want to re I didn't want to reinforce, I still don't want to reinforce any ideas of, yeah. of less than. And my mother would always be talking about the patriarchy and how things are not even for, for women. And I'm like, mom, come on, get with the program. Now I'm older and I realize, you know what, it, it's true. Um, sometimes women are not heard. And even just the timber of our voice I have a fairly low voice for a woman, but sometimes uh, people just don't hear uh, a person who has who is a woman or or hear a higher voice. I'm really passionate about helping people be heard, and part of that is about communicating effectively and understanding the neuroscience of communication, and that applies equally to men and women. On the other hand, I think mm. that it is true women are not heard as much, but women are better listeners. So we have that advantage, generally speaking. All generalizations are false, but generally speaking. Yeah, I love that you brought up the neuroscience that we we mentioned in the introduction, because that was, I, I think that is a piece of it. And you know, you brought up something, and, and my wife and I have had long conversations about it. We, we went to a church at one point that uh, they had males and females that, that were preaching there. And I, I think that's a good thing. I'm all for that. I know some people that's controversial, but whatever, they can live with it. 
but there was also a, a female that preached that I don't know how to say it any other way that she really yelled a lot. Okay. This was a Pentecostal, you know, we were kind of one of those churches and my wife would kind of nudge me at times. She goes, you're not paying attention. I said, I'm sorry. I'm just kind of checking out. She goes, and she would kind of get on to me and she goes, do you have a problem with, because men would do it. It wouldn't bother me as much. And I don't know what it was. Maybe it's because my mother yelled at me when I was growing. I don't know. I don't know what it was. But uh, I find it fascinating, and I've had to really look at myself and say, okay, is there some people that I tune out because of something? And, and you know what, what do really, you think? Do you? I, I, do you I, think? Think, I think I might. And you know what? I think we may all do that to some extent. Mm-hmm. And unless we ask the question, we won't be able to really break down those barriers. What do you think? Well, I think women are used to having long conversations with their girlfriends. And that's Mm. lovely when you're talking with your girlfriends, but it can lead to too many words, too verbose. And so get to the point. So the neuroscience of communication, it breaks it into three steps. And when a woman is communicating to a man unaware of the neuroscience, you know, she may be talking to discover what she wants to say, and that's fine if it's your husband or, or your son. Um, but if you're speaking to a congregation or you're speaking at a leadership, you know, at, at your work, uh, do that before so that you know what it is that you yeah. want to say. So women, oftentimes, we're still discovering what we want to say, and that is a burden for the listener. But if you know what you want to say, then you need to filter it through just three steps of the neuroscience. And as you read in, in my book, Turn Words Into Wealth, um, many smart people like Silicon Valley people, you know, they, they send an Excel spreadsheet or the verbal equivalent of an Excel spreadsheet to another smart person thinking, okay, well, they will just download that verbal equivalent of a, an Excel spreadsheet. And that's not how communication works. So, mm-hmm. you know, you need to first understand the getting the attention is first. So that our ancient croc brain is like the, the crocodile that's in the moat of the castle. And you're, you're trotting up on your horse. You've got an important message for the king and queen, but you can't give it to the king and queen. You've got to get past the moat and the crocodile. So what does that look like? That looks like five seconds of what's the point? What's in it for me? That looks like five weeks of sun, fun, and tax shelter. That looks like turn your words into wealth. Okay, we got the point. Or, you know, in your case, it looks like redefined success, right? snappy. There's a value. Oh, I want to hear about redefining success. So I'm listening. Okay. That's step one. Caught the attention with value for the listener. So then the step two, the the drawbridge comes down and you're on your horse and you trot in. Well, you still can't give your message to the king and queen. They're not standing waiting by the drawbridge. What's inside the moat is the social brain or this, you know, the, the, the knights and you have to pass the social sniff test next. And that is asking question like, what is the status of this person? Who sent them? Who else has done business with them? So for example, you know, my clients who become authors, all of a sudden they've got more authority or my new book, Turn Words to Wealth, just one uh, best business book of 2021 by the um, Los Angeles Book Festival. And it also got the Literary Titan Award. So these things are like, oh, okay. Literary Titan thinks she's okay. Los Angeles Book Festival, 
says she's okay. Tim is interviewing her. Maybe we'll listen a bit to Aurora, even though she talks about tax shelters. Okay. So that's the social thing. It's like, where are you in a status, you know, setting? And then if you're lucky, you get led into the inner chamber and you get to deliver your message to the king and queen. This is where your question about male, female also comes to play. So just as if you were in the Game of Thrones, you know, you want to address both the king and queen, otherwise off their head. And that means varying the story component with the statistics component. Don't mm. give all numbers. Don't give all statistics. Don't give all stories. See if you can braid those things together and provide both of them. And then again, be aware, you know, if you give the five second uh, uh, answer and then people want more, then, then you probably have permission to go on for 30 seconds. And then if they ask more, then maybe you have permission to go on for two minutes. And even if you've got 20 minutes of content to give, give it in little chunks, you know, hopefully like you're seeing with me with Tim, except for the answer about tax shelters earlier. Are y'all excited? You know, so he's asking me more questions and that is uh, a clue that you, the person wants more. And where people glaze over when men and women talk is, is like, you're making the person do too much work. What is the point? Especially men are wondering this a lot of times when women are just trying to discover what it is that they feel or think or women and then jump in to answer and solve the problem, but women are still not certain. <laughs> what is the point? What is the point of the story? You have to know what is the point of the story. Does yeah, that, that make sense? No, it makes total sense. And I appreciate you sharing that. And I'm not really even sure where the question came from, but I love the answer. So, uh, because what it was is it, it enabled us to highlight uh, the importance of, I don't want to say the process, but I think what so many of us do, especially in a high stress, high, you know, highly divisive world, we communicate like we want to be communicated with mm -hmm. without any thought or recognition of who we're communicating to or whatever. So I love the three steps that you went over. I was taking notes here myself. And uh, I think that's going to bring value. I love the word here. It's going to bring value to the person listening. And so, yeah. uh, so I, I've got one more, I, I guess I'll call it a general question before I want to begin going into why everyone, leaders, entrepreneurs need to have a book, but it's kind of, it's kind of something that we started discussing before the, uh, we even hit record and you've brought it up a few other times, but we love to talk about success here on Seek Go Create. And we really like to talk about how we have either made the decision to, or we've been forced to redefine success. Can you think of some examples in your life that you could share where you either have made the decision to redefine what success looked like, what it meant, or external catalytic events, something forced you to shift that paradigm? Well, I've had both the catalytic events and the more recent events. I'll share the pandemic because that may be more, uh, relatable for the listeners today or the audience today. You know, the, I have been in the habit of hosting like three or four events per year. My last event was February, 2020 in San Miguel de Allende, Mexico. It was a midlife reboot. It was awesome. It was fantastic. And I'd planned to do a Phoenix Rising Writers Retreat next and a coach training retreat. And of course I had to cancel all of those 
events as everybody else who's in the event business. So then I asked myself, and uh, everybody can be well served by asking themselves these three simple questions, especially when you're pivoting. Yeah. <laughs> um, what am I really good at? In other words, what have you spent over 10,000 hours doing? What have you got some level of mastery? So what am I really good at? And then filter that by what do I love to do? So I'm really good at tax shelters, but I don't love to do them anymore. Um, but I, I love coaching and helping people. So, you know, important to focus on what fills you with joy and energy. And then the third question is, who is that worth the most to? So when I uh, needed to pivot my business because of the pandemic, I thought, okay, well, uh, what, have, what, have I, what am I really good at? Writing, coaching, publishing, uh, storytelling, a lot of experience in film, television, and writing. I've written six books, a whole bunch of screenplays. Um, who's that worth the most to? Well, it's worth the most to people who are raising capital or people who want to write books or leave a legacy. And, um, you know, so I filtered through that and I tweaked my business to allow more one-on-one -on -one VIP coaching and have a whole process for somebody who would just like me to see them all the way through creating and publishing and promoting their book. And I'm super happy and it's working great. So that's a recent example. Right. Um, and one quick, and that one was, quick, one quick question on that. And this is one of these questions that there it really isn't an answer, but I think it helps us to reflect mm -hmm. if there had not been a pandemic or some type of an event that shut the world down. And going back to February in 20, you know, February, 2020, which is not that long ago, actually, what do you think you would be doing today? Had that event not occurred? Have you put any thought into that at all? Well, I was in the process of on the cusp of raising capital for this business idea that I had. Um, which is related to what I'm doing now, except I'm doing it the, uh, the VIP hands-on way rather than the Silicon Valley, let's automate this and turn it into an app way. Mm. Uh, so uh, that opportunity is still there, um, but I'm not living in Silicon Valley right now. I chose to move back to Canada where my family is in British Columbia. And who knows what the future holds? Right. You also asked, yeah. when did I make a choice that was cataclysmic? So as you know, from reading, reading my book, Turn Words Into Wealth, Tim, my husband died suddenly when he was 33 and our son was four. And so I went from, you know, being rather cozy as a wife and business partner and having a, a young child and starting a, a fledgling screenwriting business because I always wanted to be a writer and I was writing and I was actually at that time being paid to write my very first screenplay for money, which became the TV movie Eli's Lesson. And then my husband died. So, okay, all of a sudden I have no husband. I have no best friend. I have no yacht business with him that I can run. I don't even know how to, how to sail barely. Um, and so I needed to shift. And what happened through the grace of God, really, because it was like so many coincidences, is I got invited to, pe to pitch the movie I was writing at the Banff Film and Television Festival, now the Banff Media Festival. And so I practiced and um, worked on my, my, my 20 minute or less pitch for the movie I was writing. 
And that was a televised pitch. So I, I spoke to about 600 film and television producers from Hollywood and from around the world, including Canada. It went really well and it ended up in a bidding war and my agent was fielding offers on my behalf. And that one 20 minutes changed the trajectory of my life. So, you know, it led to six figures. It led to an, a, a cool career in film and television before I had my own business. I, you know, I, I was well paid to work in the, in the, in the industry for Atlantis Films and Porchlight Entertainment. And that's part of why I wrote Turn Words into Wealth. I think we spend so much time perfecting our products or services or working on, I don't know, Google ads or Facebook ads, but we don't really consider that good luck is when preparedness meets opportunity. And I had put a lot of effort into preparing, but the the time that I was, you know, on camera was only 20 minutes, but it changed everything. And so that I like to help others, you know, do that. Now, I did not really choose that proactively from the, oh, I could see how I need to change my life. I was like friggin' desperate. I was do whatever opportunity um, came my way. And I had no clue that it would work out, but it later was turned into a documentary called the big break and it aired on uh, national TV and it was used to teach the art of pitching in the Banff film and television um, training program. So I guess it was not a bad pitch. Yeah. I mean, and, and I remember reading that, that what a significant event that was. And also it's interesting to me how that, I guess, developed from something that would have been a very negative traumatic situation, losing your spouse and and you know we ask the questions we don't ever know the answer to these is would we have been propelled into that situation the preparedness being ready for it even the mental aspect of it if it weren't for some of the tragic events not that we embrace those tragic events but it is interesting and that that's probably where faith and other things come in that we could go down that path but we're not going to because I want to kind of use that to bring us back to the question that I think you're going to be able to bring a lot of value to the person listening and me also. And that is, why would someone want to have a book? And you, I think you make the statement, uh, I think you make the, you make the, you present the position that every expert entrepreneur and leader needs a book. Why? T tell us why that is. And then we'll get into some of the, uh, the details of the book as we begin. We've got a ways to go, but as we begin to wrap up here. <laughs> okay. Well, what is the definition of a leader? Right. A leader is somebody who has something to say, who has something to share, who who has something to provide to their followers or their uh, people in their company or their people on their team. So most people will be saying over and over the answers to the frequently asked questions. <laughs> They'll be over and over sharing from their heart. And if you can put it in a fixed form, like you shared from your heart in the first episode, please listeners go back, listen to his origin story. It's, it's very moving, but it's captured in a fixed form. And so you do it once and you know thousands of people, millions of people can listen to it. Having a book is even better than that. A podcast is kind of like a newspaper or a magazine. It is good. It's in a fixed form, but it's kind of like, you know, what's the recent podcast? We want Tim's podcast from today, not from yesterday. But a book is something that is more like a seed and it's part of your legacy asset. 
So every entrepreneur and leader would benefit from a book for two purposes. One, to share their message one to many and leverage their time much more effectively. And two, to change the framing of the conversation. So they're not just seen as another entrepreneur with another widget or another da 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 da. They are, oh, you are the expert with the book. You've written a book. The word of author is authority. And so it doesn't mm -hmm. take, like my clients who are dentists, I help them write their book, Keys to a Healthy Smile After 40. Their business went from 1.5 to $6 million, partly because mm -hmm. of their book and getting clear on their message and doing the right book that attracted the right client for them. So that's the benefit of the MBA with the writing, because before writing their book, I'm like, tell me more about your business. Who's your ideal client? And they're, you know, they were attracting business the same way most dentists do with free, uh, with free uh, checkups. Well, that just brings a bunch of people, but maybe that person will spend $200 instead of 5,000 or 10,000 as somebody over 40. So keys to a healthy smile after 40 brought them their ideal client and positioned them as the go-to experts for people who wanted help with their teeth over 40. Um, there's many other reasons to write a book. You learn so much. And we haven't even talked about your new book, Coach. Uh, I'd love to hear what your, what your feeling is about that. But I think even the process of writing it is so valuable because you get more clear. What was your experience? Well, just like you were saying, and that was going to be my follow-up question, is that there is a... There is a very introspective, reflective, learn a lot about yourself. I mean, I physically wrote, I was actually, I did not go through the efficient process that I know you discuss and teach and work with people on. I, these two fingers is my joke. They typed out all 70,000 words and, uh, except it was like type, 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 backspace, backspace, <laughs> type, 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 type. <laughs> so, but I, but I do think that I know I learned about. In fact, there are times that I wonder if the book was more about Tim learning more about himself than all the people that may read it. And I'm, I'm excited about that. But I guess give a perspective and you get, you give a lot of examples in the book and I'm going to recommend people get that and read through it of people that have used this process. But give your perspective of the value of writing for the person that is the author writer or the person involved with the process, what all do they really gain? And let's, let's take it, let's don't really look at the, you know, the million to $2 million business. All that's great. I love all that, but you kind of know the way we define success a little bit here. A lot of it is internal. What are some of the internal things you've, you've seen people go through in this process? Well, it's really interesting. I can uh, give uh, an example for myself and also from a client of mine. So one of my clients, Sanders Sprague, we're working on his book, which is titled Epic Begins with One Step Forward. Well, when we started working together with the interview, you know, podcast like episodes that then turn into chapters, you know, he didn't have a title. He didn't know really what his book was about. He kind of sort of knew. And but in the process, like the quality of the content uh, can depend on the quality of listening. So as I'm really listening to him, pulling it out, it's like, I don't know, the divine energy flows or consciousness flows or this on switch, whatever way you'd like to 
think of it. Mm-hmm. And he was full of ideas. He came up with the, the title, Epic Begins with One Step Forward. And then he's like always texting me, what about this? What about that? And so there's um, an aliveness around the creative process, especially for people who don't like you know doing the typing that you did if somebody <laughs> is listening. For myself, I write lots of different ways, including the typing, although I can use all 10 fingers. Um, and I find that what happens when I'm actively writing something, like as I was writing Turn Words Into Wealth, and then I'm listening to a podcast, I'm like, oh, I need to put that in. Like Joe Rogan said, you know, da, 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 that's got to go in. And so then it makes your whole life alive and more like yeah. the lights are on because you're you're always listening for how does this relate to my topic how could i add more value in my book oh maybe i could slide that little bit you know in there and and i don't know i just feel like i'm alive when i'm writing for me i when i'm in the flow of writing i don't feel like i'm writing i feel like i don't feel like i've got the book i feel like the book's got me like it's flowing through me it it needs to be born kind of energy and so i, I can i can <laughs> not thinking it up but it could go as fast as i can type um or as fast as i can um dictate so there's so much value and on another um on another level on a non-business level like my first book from heartbreak to happiness is my diary of healing after my husband died and that um i just decided to publish it because it was uh when i stumbled across it years after he died i was like whoa that was a ride and I wanted to give that gift to other people because when you're living through something horrendous like you went through bankruptcy you were so honest about that well going through the death of my husband was like ah should I just shoot myself now and get this over with Hmm. but reading my diary I mean when I flipped it open years after and read it for the first time um it took me two hours to read it but it spanned like more than a decade and yeah. so you could get the sense of the of the forest for the trees. And as I edited the diary that I had written as, in the aftermath of his death, so much shifted in me. I healed so much and I had a, a whole different perspective because I realized I many times prayed for something and then three months later I would receive it by which time I'd forgotten that I'd prayed for it. But when mm-hmm. I edited my uh, diary, I was, I shifted to realizing from thinking that God hated me and had, you know, sent mm-hmm. this to me as a punishment for something I had done wrong to, oh, actually I do live in a supportive universe and the things that I prayed for did come true. And I just felt a whole different sense by looking at the forest rather than looking at the trees, which you probably experienced with your true with your bankruptcy, which you shared so uh, honestly about. Right. And the thing that's, uh, I guess, so beautiful about uh, a book like you just mentioned is that there is a lot of therapy involved for you writing it, like you just mentioned. But then there's also therapy and healing for someone who may have gone through something. I don't even know if similar matters, that, but they're just going through something and to know that there are other people out there that have moved through that, been healed, that doesn't mean there's not scars there. There are scars there. We, we can't eliminate some of the scars from those things. But, but you know what? There's life after those scars. And so I, I think it's beautiful. That's one of the things that I have noticed about myself in this process is that it has been 
somewhat therapeutic because I would not have considered myself a writer. I talk, I flip on the mic, I get up on a stage and I talk or I man of action business. And so, but you know what? I really do think that the Lord wanted me to slow down and mm -hmm. capture some of these things. And I believe that's what happens with a lot of people that you interact with. They need to get a story out. And, and I love that you help facilitate and help people do that because you and I know, I don't know what the percentages are, maybe you do, of the people that say they have a story in them that never get it out. Do you know, I mean, do, those, do yeah. we know those numbers at all? Well, the number that I do know is 80% of people say they would like to write a book. Most first time authors take on average three and a half years and then oftentimes never publish the book. So it's, it's, I love everybody to appreciate the value of their authentic story. The things that you've mm -hmm. lived through, your expertise and your life experience can be valuable to others. I mean, my, my mother died recently. And as you know, from reading my book, Turn Words Into Wealth, um, Tim, you know, when she passed, I was grateful for two things. I was grateful that I was there when she took her last breath because she was there when I took my first and that felt right. And I was also grateful that I had interviewed her several times, several months before she um, died. Yeah. And, and, you know, we've got about eight hours. I can turn that into a book, but even before turning it into a book, I shared it with family and those stories, the details of her growing up and the pioneer in Alberta and the details of, of her life won't be lost. Even though she told me the stories many times, you know, that not listening thing that kids do or just, you know, fading the, the specifics. So I'm really grateful that I've got that. So there's also that legacy aspect, the things that we take for granted that we know so well, other people's don't. And, and they may be praying for for your message, for your story, yeah. for your book. That's really cool. You know, we interviewed, I can't even remember when it released, but Mitzi Perdue, who's from, from two families of legacy, going back to the Sheraton hotel chain and Perdue, uh, she would marry, marry to Frank Perdue. And she said that on one of, her, one of her sides of the family, that part of the legacy that's required is that before people turn 60, they have to write their autobiography. And it goes into whether it's published or not, but the actual writing of it, they actually keep a library. That's the family library that everyone prior to hitting 60 has to write there. I said, that is phenomenal. You would love that, wouldn't you? I would totally love that. Yeah, I totally yeah. love that. And I love books. Like I've been mentored by so many people who are no longer alive. Like mm -hmm. Ralph Waldo Emerson. He's one of my mentors. C.S. Lewis is one of my mentors. Wayne Dyer, actually, I met him. He endorsed my first published book and gave me a big hug. Um, he's passed on now. One of my mentors. Oh. You know, that's the value of, of a book. A book is, a, is, is like telepathy that can yeah. travel over time. So a lot of people, I'm just probably in some people's heads, they've got this, yeah, but a book would be for, and you actually give some good examples of this in your, in your book also, that it would really be for celebrities or people that are already in a position of, you know, they've got followers, they're influencers, but you make a pretty good case, I think on both sides of it. I mean, if you've got some influence, use it. But, uh, but how would you respond if someone says, you know, I'm not, I don't really have a lot of influence. I wouldn't be considered a celebrity. I'm not sure that I should 
consider uh, writing a book, anything. I don't, I don't think it would uh, go over. Well, there's multiple ways I could respond to that, but go ahead. The deepest answer is who are you to dismiss who you are and who are you to let your ego be dictating what you create, you know, like creation is big word for me. You know, my, my, my three go-tos are create, connect and contribute. Um, so we have the create book word in, in common. And what is creation? Well, I feel like we are little droplets of water in the ocean of God or unified field or the universe, whatever word works best for you. So do your little job as your little droplet of water, <laughs> your little droplet of divinity, your little droplet of creation. And maybe you Maybe book is not what you create, but don't not create it from the who, who am I and who would listen to me because somebody needs your message. When I published my first book, I really thought it would only help other young widows who had young children whose husbands died suddenly right in front of them. And that book helped change the lives of people who had lost pets, who were on their own deathbed, who were fired from their job. I had no idea. I didn't know. The emotional journey that I went through was similar to the emotional journey that they were going through. And it reassured them, hey, Aurora managed to get through it. Maybe I can too. So who are you to dismiss and discount what you have to offer before you even offer it? Yeah, that's, I, I love that deep answer because we could have kind of glazed over the surface. Oh, you just need to write a book. You need to do it. But I love that, that everyone's got a message and there's someone that needs to hear that message. Yeah. And, and that's what I keep reminding myself. I mean, you know, we, we do what we do with podcasts and things like that. And sometimes we do it and we're not sure who all is out there. I mean, we've got metrics and we know that good things are going on. But, uh, you know, it's, it, it is this. Well, you're going to give a little tease about what Coach is about, your book, Coach, that's... Uh... I, I will. I actually just recorded an episode yesterday where I read a few excerpts and talked about it. It is, it is not a biography, but it is, uh, it's in the genre of greatest salesmen in the world, the Ogmandino books. And it's what I call fiction with purpose or fiction with a mission where there's story, there's fiction, but there are some learning points and teaching points. And so, Anyway, thank you for asking, and maybe you and I can talk offline about that some because I, I think that would be fascinating for you and I to discuss. But yeah, it's uh, it's been a it's been a fascinating process. But the reason I asked what I just asked is because I have noticed I would definitely prior to a lot of the things that went on with us financially from 08 to 2013, I would have been considered probably not just confident, but I would have probably been pegging the arrogant scale that I thought that, you know, if I ever do this or say this or whatever, everyone wants to listen, everyone wants to buy the book, whatever. Uh, that's changed quite a bit. I hope, I believe that I've been humbled and, and, but I still have pretty decent amount of confidence in what I do. But I could tell you that the writing process and reading through it, there have been mental battles that have gone on going, hmm. You know, I can't picture someone like Aurora reading this and looking and going, yeah, this is pretty good. She would probably read it and go, I don't know. And so, but that's a battle. And I'm sure in the position you're in, you help people work through that probably, don't you? 
I help people work through that and I help them make their book better also with, uh-huh. with, uh, with editing and with polishing and making sure that it's got a solid structure. So, you know, you've done over a hundred podcasts now. Now I bet this podcast is better than your second podcast. Your first, first podcast was amazing because <laughs> yeah. you're coming from the heart. Um, it's a skill like any skill you get better mm-hmm. as you go. So there are, primary mistake most people make is they uh, don't have a structure that will hold their words and that needs to be resolved but then also to take the time with polishing and editing and mm. uh, um, not sure where the question was I've forgotten what your question was well the mental the mental part of it I mean because one of the yeah. things I noticed I mean I was getting words on paper or words on digital but there were times I was like going wow this do I really want to keep doing it? I, oh, one let of the me thi- talk one, about the mental part. Sorry. Yeah. Well, one thing about it I want to say, and maybe this is a piece of it, is that I really love the speed of your process because mm-hmm. I think speed can eliminate some of those demons from messing with your head. But I think you're about to say something else. So you can address speed or whatever you want to on that, that part. Well, speaking of speed, yeah. So when I work with my clients, we spend uh, quite a while getting the structure right making sure Mm -hmm. that what they what they want to say what the theme is that's going to achieve their goals and and we structure out the story quite a bit but Mm -hmm. then we know what we're going to cover in any one of these you know mock podcast episodes and then they get eight thousand words per hour and then it's transcribed and then you know we've got the messy first draft so that's really fast and that really helps because then they're not wondering what they're going to say i mean like in this conversation you can't really spend any time much time thinking about what you're going to say you just respond to the the question and it's and it's super fast and that keeps an aliveness to it where overwriting can happen otherwise when you're working by yourself perhaps and you you, mm-hmm. you keep fussing with the same sentence until you beat all the life out of it but what i want to say about mindset everybody um has moments where they think i should just tear this whole thing up i am the worst writer on the planet i can't believe anybody would read this i don't even want to read it in fact, a, a story about that is Stephen King, back before he was like the famous Stephen King, while he was still writing and he was getting published in, you know, little uh, sci-fi journals. He wrote four pages of an outline and then he crumpled it up and he threw it away. He thought, that is the worst, gar- I can't even believe that I, I, I wrote that. I, uh, shit. Fortunately, his wife pulled it out of the garbage can and smoothed the crumpled paper and read it. And she said, you know, I I think you have something here. You should probably um, carry on with that. And he's like, really? No, she said, yeah, you should you should carry on with that. So at this time, he had a full time job and so did his wife, but they were barely eking it out. Uh, They were, I think, living in a much more modest uh, trailer than you are in a beautiful one there. And um, he was working at some horrible job with like, you know, blue collar job, like cleaning up oil or something horrible. Uh, But anyway, he 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 wrote it and his agent was always calling him with rejections. So and this is back in the day with the corded phone. So his agent calls, says, are you sitting down? He's like, yes but the chair wasn't close enough (laughs) so then the agent said okay i have an offer for that book that you wrote he's like okay he's like uh are you sitting down yes he said six hundred thousand dollars and it was carrie and he just like slumped to the ground he fell to the ground that was more money than he could ever imagine like sixty thousand dollars would have been life-changing to him at that point and every writer is like that you have if you're having a bad day 
you'll probably, you know, dump a bunch of stuff that's really good. If you're having a good day, then you think stuff that's maybe not so good is good. Like you cannot judge your own writing. So just be the channel, get it down and, uh, and don't start rewriting and editing. Just be the channel, get your first draft down before you start chopping up what you've got. Um, and speed does help because the other problem first time authors have is they're not clear on their story. So one day they're writing this story over here and that's a fine story. And then two weeks later, after they pick it up again, they're writing more of this story going in a different direction. Um, either of those directions were fine, but half of one and half of another leads to a hodgepodge. So how does that resonate with your own experience writing? Yeah, no, it really, it really does because, because I've taken time to do it. There are times I've picked up and it's just flowed. And then times I'm like going, what are we doing here? Where am I at in the story? <laughs> Who are the characters? I don't even know what I'm so, so yeah, that's, that's a great point there. Uh, a couple things as we wrap up here, because I know we're, we're watching our time. What, all right, let's just say I'm, I'm going to we're going to recommend people get your book and we're going to mention how they can do that in just a moment or how they may even be able to work with you personally. But but let's just say someone's listening in and let's just say we have planted a seed that they are thinking to themselves, hmm, I've kind of thought about a book, but I've never thought about it this much. Aurora, what would you recommend they do next and again we're, we're going to tell them to get the book and possibly work with you but just what would be like a good thing for someone who they might just be getting a little bit of a stirring about okay well, they can take my 90 day challenge which i mentioned in the book but they don't have to read the book even to get the challenge i'll tell them quickly okay. so perfect it's a 90 days challenge is to write every day read every day and then reflect once a week so nice. writing every day could be as little as five minutes get out your journal and just mind dump what are you thinking about what's going on and to do that choose that practice for 90 days and then read every day and again it could be as little as five minutes you could read coach you could read augmentuna you could read my book um not the newspaper <laughs> read something you know inspiring hopefully read the bible if you like um read uh, good something good that's going to inspire you and not work related and then once a week, perhaps on Sunday, reflect. So scan what you wrote, scan your notes if you made them from what you read and just notice if you keep complaining about something, maybe you should do something about it. Or if, if something's alive in you, then maybe you wanna write a little bit more about that next week. And just choose this as a practice. I promise if you do this for nine days, you will come out a different person and you will be much more in connection with yourself and what matters to you and out of that you will have clarity if you do want to write a book or you want to start a podcast you want to start a business you want to leave your husband you know you'll have a lot more clarity i'm joking about that but you <laughs> you know you need to talk to yourself we need to have relationships with ourselves first and and journaling is a really great way to do that Sure. Yeah, that's a, I love that. And I know for those that are listening to this, uh, I'm sure that our notes will be outlining that challenge. So that's a great challenge for everyone. Uh, Aurora, where can people get in touch with you now at the time we're recording this? I believe that the book has just released. We're in early May. People might be listening in via YouTube or the podcast later in the summer. So where can people get in touch with you? Where do you want them to go if they say, I need to contact or connect with Aurora? If they'd like to connect with me, 
two best avenues. One is my website, aurorawinter.com. And you'll find out all about me there. A-U-R-O-R-A, winter, like the season, unlike your name. Yes. Sounds the same, but it's not the same, <laughs> .com. And then um, uh, LinkedIn is great. You know, linkedin.com slash in slash Aurora Winter will reach me. And of course, you can get my book wherever books are sold, on Amazon, on Kobo, on, on Apple. So Turn Words Into Wealth, I think, is, is a good place to start if you're interested in writing or interested in um, communicating more effectively and more, more powerfully. Or you can just listen to this podcast again and then do the 90 day challenge. Read, write, review. <laughs> uh, I did I did read the book in the last few days. I'll tell you it was excellent. I enjoyed I enjoyed all the I guess the technique type items, but I think I really enjoyed, and maybe it's from where I'm at right now. I enjoyed all of the stories, all of the um, examples, I guess, the, uh, that you gave of what books have done for uh, I would say regular people, celebrities and all, you really put together a lot of stories in there that if someone were to read it, it would be very difficult for them to say, nah, I don't want to, I don't want to write a book. I mean, you yeah. really, and that was intentional, I'm sure. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. You know, there are lots of great stories. I think most people have no idea how authors actually make money and the, the book Turn Words Into Wealth shows you a bunch of different success models and gives examples from David Goggins to Tim Ferriss to my clients, you know, how, yeah. how they have used a book to take their business to the next level. I did. I love the, I love the chapter where you go through the different business models. I'm kind of a business model junkie myself going way back and I'm sitting here reading it and I'm, and I'm on my, um, my iPad. So I'm kind of highlighting going, Ooh, I kind of like that. And I'm looking at that. And also anyway, excellent job, Aurora. Thank you for sharing that. We'll make sure we include links down in the notes or in any of the platforms that we're including the, uh, the podcast or the video on Aurora. I, I gave you a warning for this and you sort of gave Gave us clues as we went through this, uh, but seek, go create is who we are. And I like to ask my final question, one of those words, you could choose one over the other two right now, currently, which one of those words means more to you right now than the other two? No question. Create. And I think why? that's where we add the most value and in every way we're creators as business entrepreneurs, as leaders, as authors, as podcasters and youtubers as, as you are so so create i think everybody uh, can create um something new and i love creating yeah excellent i love that thank you so much aurora i appreciate you sharing with us one of the things that i know i'm going to take away from this is how you started with that word wonder and a few times throughout the episode you mentioned something about a restless mind or restless mindset and I'm going that's what wonder is and I just love how that kind of came out that'll be my theme for this episode and if you've been listening in I know that you've gained value I appreciate you listening I know Aurora appreciates you listening I recommend you go get her book and the resources that she has and we would love for you to continue the conversation like I said at the beginning on all of our socials on our website you can comment you can ask questions i'll even pull aurora back in if there's something that you have that uh, you'd like to ask her but uh, definitely take this episode and share it that's my big ask is that you share it with people you can do it on your social you can uh, take a picture of the uh, of the podcast art and share it but just share it we appreciate you doing that that is how people find out about podcast Every, everybody says that's the number one way that people listen. So 
please share it. And until next time, we have new episodes every Monday. Until next time, continue being all that you were created to be.